Hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans. I am your host, Jason Rudy, filmmaker from Desperate Visions Productions out of Sacramento, California. Um, let's see. This is uh, episode 15, and this one is film number 74 from Jess Franco, uh, Girls in the Night Traffic. Hope you enjoyed episode 14, the special shorter episode that dealt with uh, the filmmaking problems of Mandinga and uh, the killer wore black stockings. That one I knew I had to do on its own because uh, there's quite a bit there and I think it merited being a separate episode. So yeah, we're going to have some special episodes like that that are going to vary from the usual uh, review shows. So be on the lookout for some more of those. I have a few ideas of some I want to do, different interviews and uh, different topics that go along with the Jess Franco universe. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us again. Hope your 2021 is going pretty good so far. Um, We're chugging along here in the Jess Franco universe. going through this uh, Erwin C. Dietrich collection. After we do the 16 films, we're about halfway there. This is the eighth one. Um, I don't know. After that, after we do the Dietrich stuff, we're probably going to go back. I'm, I might start with the beginning, maybe start with the early Francos, and then work forward. And then uh, when we have guest reviewers, maybe pop in occasional different uh, time frames because... Uh, I know I have some situations that I want to do with certain guests, so we'll see how that works out. But uh, with this one, the girls at night traffic, we're going to go ahead and start this up and give you the all the uh, credits and good stuff for that. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, in this one you'll hear later on, Eric and I watched it, and uh, it's not the strongest Franco film. It's a very different Franco film, and uh, after l- listening to the Mandinga situation, you'll understand why these films are that way. Uh, this is Girls in the Night Traffic, is the DVD cover title. It's uh, a Switzerland production in 1976. The original theatrical title in the country of origin is Machin I'm Ekterver. Girls in the Night Traffic. Um, we also have the alternate title, Wild Lust, the uh, West German theatrical hardcore version, Wild Lust. Um, Hebler Sex in Nocturne, Hot Sex in the Night Traffic. Uh, let's see. Production company on this is Cinemic Production, a Belgian. The theatrical distributor is Ascot Verlich of West Germany. The world sales is Elite out of Zurich. That was Dietrich's company. Or I'm sure it still is, because they're still doing the Blu-rays and all that. So, uh, Timeline on this. The shooting on the sets in Zurich was from... March 8th to the 20th of 76, uh, in Germany. They did a shoot on July 30th, and then Zurich, uh, I'm sorry, played in Germany on July 30th and 76, and then Zurich, November 76, and, uh, Switzerland, December 11th, 78, Naples, June 6th of 80, and Rome, finally, in April 26th of 85. So, yeah, played for another nine years after its German... Um, premiere. So that's interesting. Uh, the uh, theatrical running time in Germany is uh, as Girls Night Traffic is 60 minutes 42 seconds. The video DVD Blu-ray running times 
converted where necessary. The Ascot Elite Blu-ray is uh, 71.32, and the German VHS, the X-rated version, is 96 minutes 53 seconds. So about a 25-minute difference, give or take. <clears throat> Director on this is Jess Franco. Producer, Erwin C. Dietrich, a Cinemec production for Ascot Distribution. Director of Photography, Peter Baumgartner. Uh, editor, Peter Baumgartner. Music, Walter Baumgartner. And Eastman Color. So yeah, basically, uh, Dietrich had total control over this. Because he had the Director of Photography, Peter Baumgartner, as the Director of Photography and the Editor. So he made sure that he controlled what footage was put together and how it was assembled. Because he wasn't happy with the previous situations. Uh, cast Esther Mojer played Marty, also known as Gurley, Kali Hansa, Margit, um, Pilar Cole, aka Pilar Cole as Pia, Eric Falk as Mustafa, Diata Fatu as Dancer in Silver Boots, Siag Sharif, Dancer at Turkish Brothel, uh, Roman, Roman Huber, Pia's client with the striped tie, uh, Kurt Minicki, the photographer and sex trafficker. Marlies Haas, Isabella, the female sex trafficker. Paul Neusbauer as Mr. Hecatel, the client who wants to make out with Kali Hansa at the Turkish brothel. That's the guy with singed hair that I talk about later. Production notes. A light-hearted quickie of very little substance, clearly dashed off in a week or so. Girls in the night traffic, also known as Makchin Ik. Nectarvin is notable for being the first Franco film made entirely on studio sets, with no location shooting at all. When you consider how important location is to Franco's cinematic vision, being studio-bound must have chafed him terribly. He generally sought greater and greater freedom in his career, yet here he was, in the early 1976, working under what amounts to creative house arrest. So why did he tolerate it? The answer lies in Franco's alleged misuse of Dietrich's money, his illicit sales of the foreign rights to Dietrich's productions, and most of all, the world of trouble in which he found himself following production of Mandinga. It's clear that limiting Franco to studio-bound production was Dietrich's way of keeping the director busy on the strictest of leeches. Of leashes, <laughs> sorry. It's clear that limiting Franco to studio-bound production was Dietrich's way of keeping the director busy on the strictest of leashes, while getting him to work off his debts. Three consecutive Franco quickies, uh, Girls in Night Traffic, uh, White Skin, Black Thighs, and Around the World in 80 Beds, aka Monoerotica, were shot in this way in just a few weeks, with casts made up almost entirely of Dietrich regulars. Only Kali Hansa is carried over from previous Franco productions. Jess would not be sent out on location again until June 76, and even then it was to shoot Jack the Ripper in and around Zurich, where Dietrich could closely monitor his progress. After that, Franco would spend two more years under the yoke of the Dietrich production house, with Peter Baumgartner and Rudolf Kutel in charge of the camera. No more shooting two films at the same time, and then selling the second film to another company. Every bit of footage that Franco shot for elite Ascot films in 76 and 1977 ended up in the appropriate Dietrich production. When Dietrich sat down to examine the problem, he discovered that Franco's debts had been piling up for at least two years beforehand. A document compiled by Dietrich made available to the author by Hugh Huber and Gustav Oberpariter 
lists the various businesses and individuals to whom Franco owned sizable sums of money. Yeah, he basically owned uh, owed private debts, French taxes to two different hotels, and then owned uh, about uh, about ni- nineteen hundred and fifty pounds to Ronald Weiss, Martin Steedle, and uh, two others. Um, and then, uh, which would be in our time about thirteen thousand two hundred pounds. <clears throat> Must have been wages for the. Uh, past films that he still hadn't paid them. Uh, luckily for Franco, Dietrich possessed bo- luckily for Franco, Dietrich possessed both a orderly mind and the necessary funds to handle the situation. He worked out a deal with the Mandinga producers and settled Franco's remaining debts, including a massive bill he ran up at the Hotel Montebel in Veriosta, Spain, which must have dated back to production on Kiss Me Killer and the Hot Nights of Linda in December 1973 which was three years before this. If word had got around that Franco was financially irresponsible, it could have led to bad publicity and even blacklisting. Such an outcome would have severely limited his future options. From Dietrich's point of view, if he sorted out Franco's debts, he could keep a tight rein on him as elite's house director, safe in the knowledge that Franco was now beholden to him for settling his liabilities. We can at least understand why Franco agreed to work under such tight restraints during 76 to 77, and we also have a plausible psychological explanation for the marked increase in themes of coercion and imprisonment in his work during this period. Another striking feature of Girls in Night Traffic, White Skin, Black Thighs, and Mondo Erotica is the absence of Lena Romay. Just a couple of months earlier, Franco and Romay had essentially eloped together from the Hotel Quetzal in the south of France, leaving Romay's husband, Ramon, are dead high and dry. For the remainder of Franco's Swiss sojourn, however, Romay's appearances in his films were greatly reduced. Perhaps she took time off from filmmaking to try and repair her marriage. Her absence was certainly unusual. She had been in all 25 of Franco's films between uh, Le Ojos del Dr. Orloff, 1973, and to Die Marquis von Saad, 1975. So she had done 25 films in those two years. Probably a little less than two years. Suddenly, in the wake of the Mandinga controversy, she skipped Girls in the Night Traffic, White Skin, Black Thighs, and Mono Erotica, which t- and took only a small role in Jack the Ripper. She returned to that fold for Elsa the Wicked Warden, playing the second female lead, but then disappeared again for another five films from Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun all the way to Love Camp, her longest run of absence from the Franco filmography, before turning up again as the abused heroine in Wicked Women, 1977. Notably, this last film marked the end of her marriage to Ramon Ardid. Her divorce papers came through prior to shooting it in September of 1977. Notable mainly for being a hardcore title amid a slew of softcore projects, Girls in the Night Traffic is a genial waste of 90 minutes, not without charm, but definitely one of Franco's less thrilling efforts. Much of the appeal comes directly from the girls, who exhume a warm and sensual self-confidence. As a piece of filmmaking, however, one has to say it's an underachiever. Yeah, the acting is really good in it, actually. That's one thing, watching it a second time. Uh, the performances are, are much better than what the film is, so that's definitely a lot better. Um... 
Quite mellow for a Franco sex film, it lacks the friction of strangeness or sleaze that enlivens so many of the other Dietrich productions. So if you're looking for nastiness or some sort of illicit thrill, be warned. This is a lazy, lukewarm experience suitable for completists only, like me. And you, probably, if you're listening to this show and you want to watch all Franco films. Cast and crew. Star of the show is the exuberant and playful Kali Hansa. Already a familiar face in Franco's work thanks to her appearances in La Sabranales, Sinner, uh, Silence of the Tombs, Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, Countess Perverse, The Lustful Amazons, and The Gobblers. Hansa was a model from Cuba who Franco met in 1972 when she was dating Argentinian actor Alberto Del Blaise, who appeared in a slew of Franco films between 1970 and 74. According to Franco, Hansa eventually gave up her film career to return to Cuba and engage directly in political resistance to Fidel Castro. Uh, let's see. As noted, there are no outdoor location shootings in this film, not even an establishing shot. The Turkish brothel at the end of the film appears to have been an actual bar, no doubt, in Zurich. Other versions. The hardcore version, Wild Lust, runs for 93 minutes, while the softcore, Girls in Night Traffic, clocks in at just over 69 minutes. The extra material goes all the way. Penetration and erections are visible throughout, along with a certain amount of deep manual stimulation of vaginas. A stunt cock contributes the penetration shots for Eric Falk in the first scene, but Falk himself performs in the finale, climax and all. There is only one slight odd difference between the hard and soft versions. In the former, Mosier's sexual encounter with the kidnapper is divided into two halves, as if she's visited them for sex on two separate occasions. In the latter, the footage is combined into one scene, so the softcore cut actually makes more narrative sense. Alright, so, uh, yeah, um, this film you can't get on DVD in America. You can, uh, just get the Ascot Elite, uh, Blu-ray that, uh, you can get through Amazon like the other Ascot Elite, basically the, uh, Dietrich Films. That's his company, so that's the way to get, um, some of those films. Because not all of them's in the Full Moon Collection. This one you can't get in the Full Moon Collection in America's DVD. Um, like I said, you just had to get the Blu-ray for that. Uh, worldwide, though, I'm sure it's different, but here in America, you just have to get the German region A, B, and C, basically region-free, and actually ABC, uh, Blu-ray, and, um, yeah, so that's that on, on that. Um, our mission statement, again, praise and memory of Jess Franco, bringing a name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. Uh, please download our episodes. Uh, it increases our numbers. If you just want to hit play and listen, that's cool. I appreciate that. But if you can just download it, and uh, even if you're able to even rate and give us uh, a rating on Amazon, on um, sorry, on iTunes or Apple or uh, any of your listening platforms, that really helps us out and moves the Franco Observer up their charts and helps us get more people and better audience and uh, more ears on the show. So um, you can reach us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. You can check out our Instagram page, our Facebook page for the Franco Observer podcast. Please add us on those. I'm always adding new pictures. We've had a few people already uh, at the pages and uh, 
correspond with us. Uh, I always add all the new DVDs I buy weekly, uh, the T-shirts, the books, uh, any Franco stuff I take pictures of. I always have content on there, so if you want to check us out on Instagram, there's always pictures on there. And, of course, Facebook, the Franco Observer page. You'll always get uh, updates on when the episodes are released and um, content pictures, and you can reach us and uh, make suggestions and uh, films you want us to review. Um, We're going to do some of those coming up in 2021. People have been reaching out to us and asking us to review certain ones and our opinions on that, so... We might have some listener-inspired um, episodes and have those with those. And, uh, yeah, branch out a little bit and do some new things. So with the Frank Observer podcast, we're always trying to keep fresh and keep current along, well, current as in these old films, but, you know, to always uh, keep the f- show going. Been adding trailers where I can find them, um, trying to add other content and cool things to the show. Um, Going to maybe add some new um, sound clips and maybe add a bumper. And You know, there's some new things we're working on. So if you like us, please let us know. Check us out. Tell your friends. All that good stuff. So uh, after this, you'll hear the trailer for the girls. Or... Uh, after this, you'll hear the trailer. Excuse me. <clears throat> After this, you'll hear the trailer for the girls in night traffic, and bumper music, of course, on both sides of that, and then the review portion for girls in night traffic, and then that will be the episode. So, all right, uh, be listening to you and seeing you again very soon. Uh, once again, this was episode fifteen, girls in night traffic, uh, film seventy four by Jess Franco. Hope you enjoy the review portion and the trailer. See you next time on episode 16. Stoßverkehr. Probehäppchen. Und noch eins. Schnellverkehr. Oh, diese Türken, die haben das Bumsen raus. Fremdenverkehr. Das ist ein Raum mit vielen. Ich gebe sie nur. Kreuzungsverkehr. Hallo! Schwesterchen! Wie kommst du hierher? Menschenskind, ich bin gekidnappt worden. Ich auch. Ohne dich wäre ich doch völlig aufgeschmissen. Wenigstens einer, der mir die Hand reicht. Oh, der Teufel, der stinkt. Im türkischen Puff wird's nach Knoblauch riechen. Stille. Das ist das Letzte. Da schlafen einem die Beine ein. Weil ganz tief schlafen. Was? Fernverkehr. Oh, nein. Intimverkehr. Mein Muschelbuschel. Du tust, was ich dir sage. Küss sie. Küss sie. Küss mich. Umleitungsverkehr. Notverkehr. Oh, danke. Oh, halt mich fest, Mann. Die hat ein Sitzfleisch. Meine Damen und Herren, Sie werden eine sensationelle Schau sehen. Nachtverkehr. 
Hello, buddies. Welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, and I am joined once again by my reliable reviewer and friend for many episodes, Mr. Eric Whitwell. Hola. Hola, como esta? Bien, bien. So tonight we watched a Franco film called Girls in the Night Traffic, uh, made in 1976. And uh, he shot this uh, March 8th to March 20th, like 12 days. And that's probably being generous. It's like a really quick film, probably even close to like 10 days shoot. Um, let's see, original theatrical title, Machin M. Nak. Guys, this is a hard one. <laughs> Girls in the Night Traffic. Uh, also, alternative title is Wild Lust, hardcore version, Wild Lust. Heber Sex und Nachtiver, the West German softcore theatrical version, Hot Sex in the Night Traffic. Hot Sex in the Night Traffic, you might want to watch out for cars in the street. And then, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if Hot Sex in the Night Traffic is a good idea, but... Also, we had Le Porn VIP, the Italian theatrical title, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, it was shot March 8th, 20th, 76, and it came out in July 30th of 76. Um, like, I'm going to go through the usual deal. I'm going to read the synopsis, and then I'm going to ask Eric what he thought of the film, and then we're going to talk and get over that good stuff. So, all right, the synopsis. Three beautiful hookers who share an apartment recount their experiences with a variety of clients. Marty, a.k.a. Gurley, describes her encounter with handsome Turkish stud called Mustafa. Pia recalls a client who wanted to her to act the part of his daughter while he jerks off watching her play with herself. And Margit trumps the others with the story of a man who insisted on making love to her inside of a coffin. The girls perform a sex show at a nightclub, a place many of their clients frequent. Marty accepts an offer of a photo session from a filmmaker and his girlfriend. The next day, she phones her friends to say she's been taken off for an around-the-world promotional shoot. After a while, Pia and Margit become suspicious. Margit meets up with the filmmaker at his apartment. She is chloroformed unconscious and sold to white slavers. After Margit disappears, a melancholy Pia is left on her own. Deciding to investigate, she falls into the same trap, and eventually, all three girls find themselves in Turkey, working at the same brothel. Their pimp is none other than their one-time client, Mustafa. So, before we go into what this film was made, and how it was made, and how quick, and the stories behind it, and all that kind of stuff, let's just talk about the film itself. So, Eric, what did you think about the movie? I, um, I, I, it's not. Yeah. It's not a. It's not a movie I could like recommend to people. Like, oh, you're gonna love this movie. But there were some scenes in it that had me laughing, and that were just so random that it was worthwhile seeing. If that makes sense. Yeah, like one that popped into me in my head when you said that was like, uh, just Franco's voiceover. Like that's the first oh, thing yeah. I think of. That was funny. Him, him doing the voice of like when he was the parrot and other things. Like. <laughs> Like he was doing that for all, like two, one or two of the guys during yeah. their sex scenes in Turkish, which was weird. Well, even the 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 guy that took her the the third girl that took her to have sex with her in a coffin. Yeah, like it was the coffin of his dead wife. His dead wife used to fuck him in that coffin. That's right, Kali Hansa's character. Yeah, yeah and he uh, he's like, 
Yeah, she also passed away in this coffin. That's right. I, I kind of was glazed over that scene. Yeah. Kind of a, but yeah, as you're saying that, weird. it is very disturbing. Yeah. But then he whips out his penis, right? And it's just a close-up of his penis just popping out. And he says, the gondola. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's on top of her going, the gondola. That's what it sounded like to me. He was, yeah, yeah, kept yeah. saying gondola over and over. And that was that cracked me up. That just cracked me up. Yeah, there was it's there was very. I mean, it was it was fast paced. Um, you know the uh, before it is that. I mean, there's two versions of this. There's like the softcore version, which we watched because it's shorter, and we wanted to kind of knock through this film, and you know, and it's less uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and because this version we watched was like 71 minutes, and then the full hardcore version is like 96 minutes. So it's like an extra 25 minutes of stuff, and. You could tell where the cuts were in the short version we were watching because there's one scene where like a girl was getting ready to go down on her knees in front of the guy, and then like her head popped back up when she was finished. Yeah. Like, wow, that was a quick job, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know there was. Um, so the next film uh, we had already reviewed, White Skin and Black Thighs, got the title right, and the lead in that was the second lead in this, um, Pilar Cole. Um, yeah, I thought she. I was really amazed by her and uh, Kali Hansa uh, were two that I known, and then uh, Esther Mosier was uh, a favorite of Eric's from the other films that she's been in. Yes, uh, Voodoo Passion, and uh, of course uh, White Skin Black Thighs, and uh, a few of the other ones. Yeah, she pops up in quite a few of the Dietrich films. She's one of the Dietrich stock actresses. Yeah, yeah, it's just, she's she's pretty cool. She's the one that masturbates too with a cucumber. So, and there is a masturbation scene in this with Pilar. She masturbates with a mannequin's hand. And uh, Eric was in the kitchen when I was watching this scene, and he and uh, he heard me go, "Whoa, yeah!" <laughs> and I was laughing. I was like, "Oh shit!" Because uh, I was waiting for a masturbation with a object with the letter C. And this was a mannequin's hand, but the finger was kind of in a claw position. So maybe I'll say claw, but I'm not gonna. I think that, that counts. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, I think that counts. Yeah, yeah. I think that counts. Be, I think that's and then I was call. telling Eric too. I'd, I'd never seen a, a movie, or, and you know, I've seen my fair share of X-rated films from seventies to you know, two thousand something, and I've never seen any masturbation scene with a mannequin hand. Um, if anybody out there has seen one in a film or know the answer, let us know at uh, FrancoObserver at Yahoo dot com. Uh, mannequin hand on male or female? Yeah, no, so, I'm joking. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about your home movies. I'm talking about something just Franco made. But uh, yeah, no, there's uh, yes, and like I was remarking, like that was the first time I'd seen that because I've seen women masturbate with a lot of different objects, and some that I've described in, in this past podcast episodes. Wearing the sea objects, the candle, the champagne, the uh, cigarette, cigarette, the uh, cucumber, the you know, and then of course other films. But that's what not this podcast is about. This podcast is about just Franco films, so I won't go into that side story. <laughs> but uh, let's first, before we start breaking down the film, um, the Franco list that I go by every film uh, on this every episode. This film, okay. So these three films, Girls in the Night Traffic, uh, White Skin, Black Thighs, and Mondo Erotica, a.k.a. Around the World in Any Beds, these are three that are all shot on sets in the Dietrich Studios, so these have no exterior shots whatsoever. And reading um, Flowers of Perversion, Stephen Thrower's book, he had talked about how that must have really stymied Franco's creativity with that because he really likes to shoot the locations. And a lot of his movies are locations and the beautiful locations like Vampiros Lesbos and 
Marquita Saad and just all the films, uh, you know, uh, Slaves, all that had beautiful locations, and this had no locations, just the sets that we've seen, the same walls and everything. But like we, like we were talking about, it's cool to see the same sets and the same props moved around and used in different scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You're recognizing walls, recognizing furniture, you know. The uh, red couch you had mentioned, or the red bed. The red bed with, the, with again, the... Yeah, okay, and, uh, yeah, so the sheepskin. Uh, the sheepskin is in, like, almost every scene in this film. Uh, the sheepskin rug is in the three main gals. Uh, as I go through the film, break it down. Yeah, it's in their bedroom. It's in the flashback scenes of... Uh, uh, the painter, when she talks about meeting the past roommates, when she first met the gal with um, with her boyfriend, she called Daddy. It's a painter. They had it in the back of their studio with the black walls, which is the same black walls as the coffin was in. Um, they used the red wall for their apartment, and the red wall was in the Turkish scene. Um, I liked uh, Franco's shot for what Turkey was. It was just a little statue of a yeah. building that was a stand-in, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so going back to the list, this had no body of water, no sailboat. And as I was talking to, thinking back introspectively, I have a feeling that maybe the sailboat in a lot of his films that starts off all of his films is like going on a cruise, going on a voyage. You're about to undertake a voyage, going on a film, it takes you to a faraway place, a place you've never seen before. You're going on a trip for however long you watch the film. And then that's maybe what the sailboat represents. I'm not sure. As I keep looking and reading, it might come out and say, who knows? Um, dance scenes. There are dance. No, was there? There's... Well, there's that sex scene when she's in the club with the, in the cage, which is funny because there's a scene later on where they're putting on a performance, the three gals, and the two of them are like guards, and then they kidnap the girl in a cage. But then you see one of the three leads he uses he uses footage from another film and you see the back of her uh, Eric actually caught this you see the back of Esther Mosier talking to Eric Falk from downtown in a different shirt while she's in the same room as herself in the guards uniform in Girls in Night Traffic so it was yeah. weird performing like the, the, the sex show yeah, yeah. and uh, but there is a club scene because he uses the footage of yep. everybody sitting in their tan chairs looking toward the camera that was used in the past Dietrich films of the club, the general black walls, rattan chairs, colored lights from the ceiling, the same 10 people in, in, in that shot. You yeah, know? Definitely, definitely. So, so you see that, um, palm trees, of course there was palm trees cause that wasn't a thing. And the, and he uses the jungle. Sound he's in the jungle noise for yeah, the club scene. <laughs> Eric caught that. He's like, wow, this is, it's like black walls was a simulated jungle. And he had the, the jungle sounds were just going like full bore till, you know, um, of course, sheepskin rug, and uh, masturbate with a C item. I'd mentioned the hand and that. And red lights. There's tons of red lights in this. Uh, in the Turkish um, whorehouse scenes and their room and everything. Um, let's see my notes on this. All right. So um, the DVD that we watched, uh, I went ahead and got the um, Ascot Elite um, Blu-ray. Uh, I got this from Davadi Storefront. Um, D-A-V-E-E-D-E-E-D-A-V-A-D-E or D-A-A-V-A-A-D-E-E and this has the softcore version of 72 minutes and the X-rated version as an Easter egg and it's funny um, 
this is a really cool DVD because or Blu-ray because it's got like an audio commentary or an audio interview with Jess Franco that I think's in German. It's got tons of trailers. It's got a trailer they made for this film, but it's a newer trailer. You could tell because it's got video uh, titles on it. But the cool thing is, I got this is because it has the X, the triple X rated version, which is like a DVD-R version. It was a, definitely a, a big step down in quality, but it's the full version. But what's really funny about this is the chapter stops because um, it looks like it's like a splash of paint or something on the pictures. And we were laughing we're like, oh, it's, it's like jizz or something. And then as you watch the movie, there's a scene where they're in the Turkish uh, uh, whorehouse and they're like shooting loads on this painting and he's like throwing milk at it, basically. And that's the same splatter that's shown in the chapter stops. So basically the chapter stops on this Blu-ray or jizz. So. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Like how we, when we saw it, we're like, oh my God, that's hilarious. And then you're like, Put the chapter thing over in the person's face, and we're like, ha ha, you know. Yeah, you can almost like do your, you know, shoot your load on different people's faces and on the backs of the thing. We're like, oh, this is fun. You go back and forth, forward, backwards. But yeah, that was that just came out of nowhere. That was hilarious because yeah. like that's the the Mustafa like having sex with them, and then every time he would like gum, it's just you would see a splash of milk on this Turkish painting. Yeah, Eric Fox in this as well. He's Mustafa, and he I don't know. I've never seen a guy looking like him named Mustafa. That was kind of cool with him, you know, because he's like this Turkish, you know, Mustafa. He's like this, you know, uh, uh, pimp, and but he's just this Turkish pimp that looks extremely German. Yeah, extremely <laughs> German with a with his black leather jacket and his big fucking goofy smile. You know, they should have had Mustafa as the guy in the end that was like all over Kali Hansa in the club, and like when the other girl came in, when the two girls were sitting there, the guy with the fried hair, oh yeah, with yeah, the bad yeah. mustache that was like talking to them, and you're yeah. like, oh that guy's really, ex- you know, well, yeah, that yeah, guy's yeah. really enjoying himself right now. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> look how happy that guy is or something. Said well, yeah, because all of a sudden he, he was talking to the one girl, and all of a sudden, um, uh, Kali, yeah, Kali shows up. Kali Hansa's character shows up. Shows up. up. She goes, oh hey. And he's like, she runs over there all excited to see her. And he's like, oh, shit, too now. Oh, wow. This is amazing. And his hair was like so fried. I was calling on oh. his hair. It's like he has this like feathered, blow dried out like hairstyle. But all of his hair looks like it's singed. Like it was like he just ran through like a fucking firewall or something. Just kept his head down and just singed all the top of his hair. You know, it's probably years of hairspray, you know, yeah, or just... something, you know, it's like if you ever burned your mustache or burned your hair or something, how it looks yeah. like that's what, you know. But, uh, yeah, so we had the, the chapter stops of jizz was this is funny. Um, <laughs> Esther Mosier, um, Esther Mosier is Marte. She's in it. Um, she's in quite a few Franco films. Um, Kali Hansa, who I always dug, is in this. Um, one cool thing that I learned about Kali Hansa tonight, um, reading through the Powers of Flowers of Perversion book, uh, he talks about uh, star of the show is the exuberant and playful Kali Hansa. Already a familiar face in Franco's work, thanks to appearances in Les Ebranales, Sinner, The Secret Diary of an Infomaniac, Silence of the Tombs, the Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, Countess Perverse, The Lustful Amazon, and La Glutonese. Hansa was a model from Cuba who Franco met in 1972 when she was dating Argentina actor Alberto Delves, who appeared in a slew of Franco films between 1970 and 74. According to Franco, Hansa eventually gave up her film career and her dalliances with Delves to return to Cuba and engage directly in political resistance to Fidel Castro. So yeah, Kali Hansa went against Castro, so that's cool. She's a strong woman, man. I, yeah. I, I, I could see her like, you know, 
you know, taking out some people with a gun, you know? Yeah. She, she has like a lot of energy to her. And like I was mentioning, like she always looks like she's like playful and happy and very animated. And she has this like joyful, like air about her. Even when she's like supposed to be unhappy, she just looks like she's always happy, you know? Yeah. And she has the most amazing nipples I've ever seen on a person. <laughs> her nipples are like little, like, like the first digit of your, of your pinky. They're like that long. <laughs> Like three inch nipples. I've never seen nipples like, like that. Like a baby's big toe. Yeah. So yeah. So, <laughs> it was just crazy. It was just like because her body was so smooth. Uh, here I go again. Sound like a pervert. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah. Yeah. It was, but yeah. I mean, just Franco. You know, you watch a just Franco film to see naked women, and chances are everything about it. So her body's just so amazing. So, but which and she, she's so sensitive with her body, and she automatically she gets aroused very quickly on film, and you see it, and just her nipples just grow. And so far, and they're not at a point too. They're like squared at the ends, and they're very long. I was just amazed. I was like, look at her nipples, man! Oh my god! Yeah, it's just crazy. Anything about her, so that was funny. <laughs> she's cool. Yeah, she's I, but cool. I gotta say, it was kind of funny. Um, the, the one scene that I kind of laughed with Kali. Um, so after they all describe their night of like, oh my gosh, what a night! And they do that little double massage thing, which was like in the first ten minutes. Ten minutes, yeah, which is incredible. Um, they all go into the living room and then they all start practicing fellatio on bananas. Yeah. And it was kind of funny because you could see like Kali was using her teeth a lot on that because the tip of the yeah. banana just kept being sculpted. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, there was, well, well, we'll get to that cool part. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, like it starts off, you see, like he used to talk about, it starts off with these three girls like sleeping together on the giant sheep's skin. And the sheep's skin I noticed was like about an eight foot or a 10 foot, 10 foot by 10 foot, like Eric said, California king size. Yeah, they're like, California king size. Yeah, yeah, so they basically have like this apartment and they have like a mattress on the floor and they have this giant sheepskin rug that covers the whole mattress. I was quite envious of that. Uh, they also have like the cool door dingle things hanging in their door from the last two films from I downtown. think that's the actual name of it. Door dingles. <laughs> <laughs> um they got, uh, let's see, so like this was uh, made in 76. So they have posters for Diamonds Are Forever, The Man with the Golden Gun, The Magnificent Seven Ride Again, uh, Viva James Bond poster, which I think was just some general James Bond poster. Um, so yeah, so you see them like sleeping there and uh, they wake up and they do the massage because the uh, uh, Esther Mosher's character mentions that she's sore from uh, Mustafa and he's such a lover and wore out and stuff so uh Kali Hansa's character and Pilar Cole's character uh Marjit and Pilar I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh Marjit and Pia they give her a massage and uh quite a good massage quite erotic looking you Franco has a cool shot where he like puts the girls on top of each other and then like has their vaginas all lined up and tries to get all three in the same shot <laughs> oh, that was kind of interesting um Oh yeah, actually, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I thought of the film after I go through this because I kind of skipped over that. But uh, yeah, so we have the three girls sleeping, we get massage. Um, uh, Eric Falk, of course, plays Mustafa. And uh, when uh, one one line that still confounds me, and I don't know, understand why it's Pilar Cole. She's talking uh, to her John in her flashback scene, and she says, "Oh, you prefer roast beef to ham." I don't know what she's trying to imply, the roast beef to ham. Maybe it's like uh, a body part, maybe a vagina to an ass or a young to old or a, I don't know, roast beef to ham. I don't understand. It, it, it could be like a, it could be like some other, it could be a saying in another language, but translates to English 
as that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm curious. But, uh, you, you could be right. What they should do is have the original language and then listen to what that is and then translate it because it's probably translated odd, you know? Um, but, yeah, so you see Kalihansa, uh, the black walls and the coffin. You see the club scenes. So, like, what's cool about this, too, is, like, I was talking to Eric, is, like, as a filmmaker, you could watch a lot of these and study their setups for their for their uh for their sets and see how they use things like they use the black walls in this and like um the scene where Kali Hans is with her John in the coffin they use that same black room with the walls and a scene later on with an artist uh painting as like his loft then they use those black walls again in uh one of the films we were watching where they're dancing on the floor and the fog coming up from um uh, white skin, black thighs, which is the next mm-hmm. film. They use that and that with the with the fog bottom. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool to see. And then of course they're using the furniture and the different things, um, but they move all that stuff around. And uh, so then it goes back to their room and they're and they're all worked up um, after the banana scene. Oh yeah, so so the banana scene. So yeah, so they're basically talking, and the one girl's sleeping in the bed, and then Kali Hansa and Pilar's character get up and they go they go into the other room. And they're talking about how much money they're going to make from being hookers and stuff and then all of a sudden they just like take out the bananas and then just like start giggling and have fun and start like performing fellatio on the bananas and then the other the third gal wakes up and joins in and then they just start showing each other their different styles of giving head to bananas i was really i liked girly a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but what's funny is like i was sitting there i was laughing watching this going you know such a simple fucking scene just three beautiful women of course they're naked that helps but you know, even if they were fully clothed, they're just performing fellatio with a banana, and it's such a simple thing, but it's so mesmerizing. Everybody will stop and watch it, and it's five or ten minutes, maybe yeah, ten minutes a little long, maybe like five minutes that like you can put in a film, and it's a funny scene. People remember it, and it doesn't do anything, but it it definitely adds something to your film. You know, yeah, it's like it's a way to get away with showing a little bit of like a porn without showing yeah. any porn, because like if they're clothed doing it. We're still going to watch it going like, oh, my God, this is kind of turning me on. You know what I mean? Yeah, like and you're going to watch it and yeah. be positive about it, like laugh about it or like, you know, maybe yeah. get a little comfortable or like a little mesmerized. But you're not going to get mad or you're not going to be like, you know, angry. Or it, it could be a scene that actually starts fetishes. Yeah, could be. <laughs> like all of a sudden people get like, oh, I got a banana fetish. <laughs> so then they go to – oh, yeah. So then uh, they get all worked up by then and then they have um, – they all, all three of them get together in the bed and start having sex. And then, then I said, okay, well, here's the, the 69 scene. And uh, we were laughing because, and Eric's like, well, is that a 69 if it's three women? And I was like, well, I I don't, I, I guess, but I, what would be the term for it? And then I, I said, well, if it's the three women, because they were, the way he had them framed too, it was cool because he had like one, kind of like in a triangle formation. He had the one gal on the on the bottom and then he had the, the one facing the and then the other one's facing their face to face so it was like a triangle so i said well it'd be like the bermuda triangle maybe and uh it's like where you go to disappear and uh you know <laughs> but it, 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 it was shot really cool and actually it, it looked no it was of course, greatly it was, framed it was, yeah, yeah I mean, it's of course from being the sexual thing it was really stylishly it, cool and you know yeah that's the thing is like he makes these these porn scenes i mean that's what they are porn scenes but there's like the colors are beautiful the angles are beautiful even the softness the the yeah, the way he lit um, Pilar Cole and a few times I mentioned that when, when I was watching it uh, with her scenes, he shot her with a soft light on her face and her eyes and the way he lit their hair all through the gals and that was really, really well because, of course, it was inside and he had that set conditions, you know, but still, it was definitely, he, he definitely frames the shot and he uses a lot of the same shots with 
the overlay of the naked bodies, but it looks really cool how they're all entwined and it's kind of hard to see who's who for a second, you know. But it's really a, a very cool shot, like you were saying. Oh yeah, the curves, uh, the everything, the just, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Actually, a really beautiful shot. And then, uh, so yeah, you have that, and then it goes into that uh, jungle scene we were talking about. Because at first you're watching, it, you're like, because I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I thought she was really kidnapped. But, but it's weird because like they do this day where that that stage routine where she's kidnapped and she wakes up. Pilar wakes up and she's in this cage, like this bamboo cage like bamboo dolls or something. And then the two girls are like in the German thing, which is like Helga that they're going to, or Greta film that they're going to do later on, which they haven't done yet, but kind of like barbed wire dolls or something too. And Eric had wondered if their outfit was the one from barbed wire dolls that, uh, Ramon Ardit's character was wearing, you know, one of their jerseys. <laughs> and it's funny too, their outfit, they had like a, um, a, uh, army like button up shirt and like no bra, no underwear, no pants, nothing, just a fucking shirt and like a belt, you know, and that was their uniform. So, I guess it covered and it worked, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was a club scene. It was a, but, it was a club scene. But what's weird is like, I was trying to say, so like they basically have the scene where she's kidnapped and they're kind of like kidnapping her. And then later on, all three of them are, are like kidnapped, kidnapped for real. It's kind of like weird. It's like they put on this thing and then I guess they were like, you know, cause you see this guy and woman filmmaker and they're the ones that are basically, uh, chloroforming the girls that they take. Well, they, the guy, basically they go home with these, this couple and they have this, this set routine where they have champagne on ice and they don't let them have it before the shoot, only after. And they have like this set routine where they go through this like, and they have the same line. So they're so they're known for like doing the same script how they kidnap people and sell them into slavery and stuff. So so that was pretty twisted because they're like the swinger couple. And of course, they take all the pictures, have sex with the women, and then chloroform them and sell them to Mustafa. And then he takes them away. Um, so yeah, so you see that whole setup of that, and then. Uh, and then, too, you learn that uh, when the gal is kidnapped, the first gal, and the other two are talking, you realize how they met each other, how um, Pilar's character, Pia, was a sax player, which was kind of odd. <laughs> and she liked to play sa- her saxophone uh, with her open shirt, with no bra, no underwear, and laying on her back on a sheepskin bed. And Eric remarked about her playing style. I just thought it was, it was kind of funny, because like, the way the music that she was playing was uh, was like almost like Turkish sounding, but like... Yeah, yeah, she, and then like the bongos would come on yeah. and she'd play, and then she'd stop, and the bongos would stop as well as the saxophone. We're like, where the fuck's the bongos yeah. sound coming from? It came from her fucking saxophone. It comes from her soul. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a uh, yeah. No, I was like, man, if she could play the saxophone that well, laying down, like she, yeah. it's really, really good. Yeah, it, it was just weird that they made her a saxophone player. Like, I don't know, it was just weird. Like, okay, you're gonna be a saxophone, even though you're little. The saxophone's like your size. You're just gonna be like this saxophone player and that's how you make money and like live because she's talking about how she's going to like play music with the saxophone like make money to like pay for her rent and everything. Yeah, well not only that like before like it starts off with her recounting her night before so she obviously was a successful prostitute on her own. Like obviously she gets John's on her own. There's not needed for all three of them at all times and all of a sudden they're both gone and she's like oh well I guess I'll get into playing saxophone for a living. Yeah, and then she talks about how she met uh, Kali Hansa's character um, and uh Margit, she basically was a burglar, and she was, like, trying to sneak into her house. And then uh, Pilar uh, Pia hits her on the head and, like, knocks her out. And then, like, she wakes up, and Eric remarked, yeah, this girl tried to break into her house. And now she's, like, completely naked except for her shirt, like, sitting next to her, smoking a cigarette, talking to her, you know. Yeah, laying her, like, like the burglar is now laying in her bed. Yeah. You know, and she's just smoking a cigarette naked next to her, just totally comfortable. Like, hey, so... 
why, why were you doing this? <laughs> yeah. Does this pay well? <laughs> I, I was fucking stupid. And then, uh, you can live here now. <laughs> so they go over that and then like, she's kidnapped. And then, uh, like I said, she goes to prostitution and the, 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 the whorehouse and that. And then you hear Franco's voiceover with the John and the Turkish whorehouse. It's funny. It's almost like the parrot voice, which was pretty funny. Yeah. And then they go into the uh, masturbation of the mannequin hand scene, and then the saxophone bongos, and then uh, then we cut to uh, the prostitution scene in the brothel, and uh, uh, where the cum shot on the picture. So yeah, and, and two, I don't know what what that picture, who the picture was supposed to be on the wall in the Turkish whorehouse. I don't know. I mean. I don't know who that's if it's supposed to be a religious icon or who that person is that they shoot the loads on. I'm going to have to do a little research before I say anything because yeah. I'm very curious. And I don't know if Franco got away with something he wasn't supposed to get away with and nobody knew about it because this didn't play here or what. But, yeah, he I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I might be kind of curious what what's watch the movie. and You'll see what I mean. So you'll see what the uh, I don't know. It might be a. I don't know if it's supposed to be Muhammad or, or what, but it's, uh, I don't know, man. That's, it's that's, a Turkish-looking man. Yeah, it's a Turkish man smiling, yeah. and I don't know what it's supposed to be. but Which has got milk on his face. Yeah, so let's we'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that, that far was just kind of odd. I don't know. Okay, so now my feelings on this film. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is a film for Franco Completus. If you're a Franco fan, you're going to watch it. It's it's fun. Um I couldn't show this to anybody that's not a Franco fan. They probably wouldn't like it. I mean, they'd watch it just for the... I mean, they'd probably watch it for the porno version, maybe. I don't know, but nothing has anything substance. Um, I liked it because Kali Hans is cool, and I dig her. Um, uh, Pilar's in it, and she's like pretty amazing in this. Um, Franco really like takes care of her. Um, Pilar Cole's like really photographed well. There's a cool shot of her on the DVD and they, that's a really good scene of her on the sheepskin. And, you know, she's on the sheepskin quite a bit so I can't... But yeah, I don't know. I'd say as a grade, I'd probably give this like a D. I don't know. I mean, it's probably... I don't know. Looking at my notes here, of the 14 films we'd watch, it's probably about as good as White Skin, Black Thighs, maybe. I mean, it was made right before. Uh, or did you like Black Skin, White Thighs better? No, honestly, like, I might have liked I don't know if I like this film more. Um, yeah, White Skin, Black Thighs is pretty yeah, base. And it was made right after this. So This one, I, it's just like the, the good scenes were just really well shot. And like there's just scenes in it that just stood out, like, you know, yeah. that I'm just made me laugh or just I appreciated being able to see that scene. Like even the colors and the, the setups of it. Um, it, it it's, yeah, the plot wasn't, you know. Yeah. I mean, and Diata Fatu dancer in the silver boots she's in this and white skin black thighs yeah so i mean there's the carrier with the same characters you know i mean i don't know i mean that one i watched third so maybe it was a little newer to me so i would but i mean everybody has a different opinion of course yeah. so i mean i would probably rate this below that but i see your point too and maybe rate this above but i don't know to me they're they're about the same i don't know yeah yeah i'd say probably about the same you know it's know. it's a both have their highs and lows. I yeah. mean, there's some cool stuff in that, and there's some cool stuff in this. There's, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know. It was shot well, and uh, there's some decent stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I say give it a solid pass. Don't, don't spend the thirty, forty bucks on it. <laughs> you know, like I did. But yeah, well, you know, it's cool. But, but, but like I said, what is cool about this Blu-ray is it has the really good, beautiful, 
softcore version that looks amazing on Blu-ray. Uh, it has the full X-rated hardcore version as an Easter egg and like a, a VHS DVD-R quality, maybe, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a beaten version. But and what's weird is like we watched the trailer for this. <laughs> the the X rated the triple X is a beaten version. <laughs> yeah, I know. Something <laughs> um but what's weird is like we watched the trailer for this and there's like a couple of the X rated scenes in the trailer that was like Blu ray quality. Yeah. But the X rated version on here was not Blu ray quality. So I don't know if they just upscaled it for that trailer or if there is a better quality X rated copy that they're just not putting out or what, but I don't know. But like like I'm saying, what is cool about this DVD or this Blu-ray is that, like I said before, it's cool to watch a movie one way and then watch a movie where all the stars are fucking, you know. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> like I wonder how she looks like when she's doing this. Well, now I get to see. You know? Well, what happens if these? Hey, there, there they are, you know. So that part is kind of cool, you know. It's, it's very rare that you can do that with any Blu-ray you buy, you know. There's no Transformers, you know, version like that or. <laughs> nothing like that so. but uh yeah, i don't know i don't know is there anything else you want to add to this to this any notes you made or anything that you want to talk about that i mean i don't know, we kind of went over everything i think yeah no it's not really not really anything else it's, it's once again it's a movie that just ends where it just decides to end and it's like a movie that just it has no it just ends yeah, that was weird. That's good. Good point. Um, on this, yeah, like it just ends. So we watch the softcore version, and then the three girls are with Eric Falk's character Mustafa, and they go, uh, "You will pay us for that, and then we'll dispose of, dispose the body or something." No, I think they said uh, you're going to give yourselves to us, and then we're going to collect our money. Yeah, something like that. We're yeah, yeah. So I guess they're like freeing themselves from him. But I don't know if they killed him or if they just leave. But it's weird. It just happened and it just goes to black. So I was like, that's weird. So I was like, well, let's watch the very, very end of the X-rated version. And it ends the same way. There's yeah. nothing besides sex scene. But it just it ends the same way. It just stops. It's the weirdest non-ending. Not even a cool non-ending. Because believe me, I love non-endings. But this is just, it just ends like it just stops. Yeah, know? it just pans back till it's like kind of angled behind a lamp and like the table of the lamp and then black. Yeah, but but even that just it, I mean it doesn't like pull back and cut. It just kind of like just pulls back, shows a scene, and then just kind of cuts. I think. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it's it's just it's like just, yeah, you're just like what happened? Like as if you just got chloroformed. Yeah, you know, was, <laughs> almost like the end of uh, the Sopranos. Oh yeah, like, the basically black. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah basically that's exactly a like, good point. It's, you're like, did it cut out or is it? Am I waiting for something? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I just thought about that as we're talking. It's like yeah, it's just black. You know, you're like okay. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, do they kill him or do they just give him the time of his life? And he's like, "Oh yeah, go ahead, you're good. Yeah, be I know. free. I, I, yeah, I, just, that was awesome. I know. I don't. I don't know. It's fucking stupid, really. I, he, he looked like he was enjoying the scene, though. He looked yeah. like he was enjoying filming the scene. But uh, once again, um, yeah. If you want to know what a vagina looks like, watch this movie. <laughs> uh, Franco goes full tilt, zooms in very close. Yeah. But it, but what's really I think what's more important than this film is the stories behind it. And if you listened to the first half of the show, you'll hear about uh, what I said about Lena Romay and uh, Ramon Ardid and why Lena Romay is not in this film or in quite a few films after this. And uh, that was probably the most interesting thing was learning about that situation between all of them and stuff. So. 
and also too learning about how uh, the story of the Mandinga shoot before this and what led Franco to being confined to shooting these films on strictly sets, no exteriors, no other cameramen, no other way he could shoot any footage for any other project besides what he is on track to shoot. So um, Dietrich basically made him his in-house um, filmmaker for these next films. Yeah, he basically cut his nuts off and <laughs> controlled him for these things. And But, you know, when you're a filmmaker and you feel like you're controlled, you just don't make as good of a film, and that's what he did with these three films. He basically shot these out really quick to pay back Dietrich because Dietrich got him out of a lot of jams, paid a lot of his bills, and he turned around and did this. So, I don't know. If Dietrich's happy, Dietrich, I'm sure, made money on these, did really well, so he was satisfied. Franco, on the other hand, was not artistic with these, wasn't the cameraman, probably didn't write them, just bust them out, did it for, you know, solid work, just strictly commercial work. So that's what these films are. They're basically commercial films in a different way, not commercial as Hollywood commercial, but just strictly money-making films that are just there to make money, and that's about it. No really artistic merit or value, so... Sometimes films get that way. This is how business is. So, yeah, not to end on a dour note, but that's kind of what these films are, these these uh, these three here in the cycle. But it makes you appreciate the ones to come, like Jack the Ripper and Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun and the other cool ones that are coming up soon. So, I um, hope you're doing well in 2021. And uh, this will probably wrap up this episode 14 of the Franco Observer this was Girls in Night Traffic film 74 which I didn't mention earlier 74 uh, there was no 73 that was Mandinga and you'll understand why if you listen to the first half of the program so that's just me you want to hear my voice and that's it so alright uh, that's it signing off All right, beautiful nights beautiful nights beautiful nights